Thanks, Jenny. Um, let me pray again. Father, um, please would you help us this afternoon, help us to listen to what you have to say to us. But Father, we pray that by your spirit you'd, you'd effect change in us. Amen. Nobu Kazu Kariki was a Japanese explorer. He specialised in self-support missions, ascents and mountain exploration. You see, in the world of explorers, it really makes a difference. The difference between self-supported and supported. The difference between being assisted and being unassisted. Obvious, right? You either go on your own with your own stuff or you have help, the help of oxygen included. There's all kinds of records, times and challenges for, for the ascents of various different mountains all over the world, especially Everest. And so it really matters whether or not you're supported, whether or not you've got canisters of oxygen, whether you'll break records. Um, Nobu, we'll call him, he tried to climb Mount Everest without oxygen while live streaming over the internet his progress. So he'd get out his uh, device and, and give updates as to how he was going. He'd climbed the Tibet side in 2009 and the Nepal side in 2010, but both times wasn't able to climb higher than 8,000 metres. On his third attempt, climbing the Nepal side in August 2011, he was not able to reach more than 7,900 metres. During his fourth attempt, in 2012, he gave up due to um, strong winds. He ended up spending two days in a snow hole at minus 20 degrees C. When he got down uh, from the mountain, it was clear that he had frostbite in nine of his ten fingers and they were amputated. His 2015 attempt was prevented by the avalanche that struck Everest Base Camp that year, and his attempts in 2016 and 2017 were cut short by weather conditions. In May 2018, he, he live-streamed his next venture, his next attempt whilst on the side of the mountain, complete with just one finger. He, he logged in, he sent in his video update, and it was very clear that, again, he was struggling. But he was set out to achieve on his unassisted, self-supported mission to ascend and descend Everest. But he was really struggling. You might call it crazy. You might call it committed. But he was certainly stubborn in his quest to ascend and descend unassisted. His last recorded words were on that video. He lost his life on the mountain. Not quite sure how, but these last words were, I will climb Everest alone at any cost. You see, he refused the support he so desperately needed. And you see, there's something of the stat stubbornness as Paul writes to the Galatians. They're, they're desperate to contribute to this mission. They're desperate to be self-supported. That's why what they need to hear is only ever grace. Look at verse 21. Paul sets out with this question. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, 
Are you not aware of what the law says? Or we could say, do you really want to stubbornly progress your self-supported ways? Are you really sure of what that means, what that looks like? Maybe you look at our guy Nobu. Or you look at what's going on in the Galatian church and you think, really? Would you be so stubborn? So desperate to rely on yourself? But when we're honest, it comes pretty naturally. When you give a a drink to a small child, they've got one of those bottle tops that they can't open. You try to get it back off them to open the lid so that they can have their drink and they, they just won't let you have it. They're desperate to do it themselves and drink their own drink. And you think maybe that's just children, but you've probably been in the kitchen where you've tried to open a jar, opening the jar of pasta, and you're desperate to do it yourself. You don't want to give it to anyone else. Look, Paul's instructions to the Galatian this afternoon, they're clear right from the start. Here's what we're going to see. Rely on God's initiative, not your own. And so Paul uses this example. Have a look down at verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of the divine promise. Remember Abraham had been promised many descendants. That was God's promise to him, God's initiative of how he'd populate but you see Abraham and his wife Sarah they were old and they didn't seem to be having children so what did they do they doubted God's promise and took their own initiative Abraham had a child with Hagar his slave child called Ishmael then later Abraham and Sarah did have a child Isaac So read what verse 23 says. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. These things are to be taken figuratively, Paul says. See what he's saying? There's two pictures going on. The first picture is one that's characterised by slavery. It's a child born according to the flesh. That's human desires, human initiative. Ishmael is the son of Hagar, the slave woman. Born because they thought they could contribute to God's plan. They didn't quite trust God at his word, so they they thought they'd carry out their own initiative. But the second picture is characterised by God's promise. By God's initiative, Even when they were old, even when they'd messed up, by God's grace. Because he'd promised many descendants to Abraham. Even though they were old, even though they'd tried themselves, he was still faithful to his promise. Have a look down at verse 27. It's taken from Isaiah. Do you remember we spent some time in Isaiah last year and we looked at this running metaphor of God's people, two two pictures, a woman and a city. 
interchangeably used to describe what God's people were like. And it's brutal because in Isaiah, God's people, they're repeatedly described as unfaithful failures. They're described like an unfaithful bride, like a fallen city. Isaiah, he's repeatedly addressing a people who knew what God wanted from them, but they failed. They couldn't do it. These are the words from Isaiah 54. Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who are never in labour. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Do you see what he's saying? Rejoice, you who could do nothing by your own initiative. That's the picture of the barren woman, the the fallen city. How can they rejoice? Because God keeps his promises. God's promised to them, and he will keep it. Do you see what Paul's saying to us? Rely on God's initiative, not your own. I wonder where you're most likely to try and rely on your own initiative. Some fleshly initiative, human desires, maybe when you've fallen into sin. Do you try to cover up? Do you try to sort things out yourself? Do you try to address the problem, try and scratch yourself up before you go to God? When you're struggling with something, you can't work out where to go. You're not quite sure where you see the end of things. Do you first come up with your own initiative? Think you can deal with things in your own strength before taking the problem to God? Because the reality is when we try and sort things out in our own way, it's demoralising. It's exhausting. It's a roller coaster. It's unstable because in and of ourselves, we have no ability to sort these things out. You can have any Bible reading plan in the world. You can read as many books as you like about speaking to people about Jesus. You can put as many reminders in your diary. You can set as many alarms as you like to pray. You can download every app. You can employ every human initiative in the world. And look, they can all be good things. But by yourself, on your own, they will not work. Unless the Spirit changes our affections, we have no real initiative to honour God. We don't. The only reason that we have any initiative to honour God is if the Spirit is at work within us. And that's God's initiative. And so that means when you do feel the slightest desire to read the Bible, when you feel the need to bring things to God, when you want to sing praise, when you desperately don't want to sin, when you feel the conviction to speak to a friend about Jesus. It's signs of life where there once wasn't any. It's like new birth from a barren woman. It's God's initiative 
So when those things happen, do you see what the verses say? Be glad, shout for joy. Rejoice, because God's initiative is to bring new life in his people by his spirit. Looking around the room, I know that many of you have got siblings. I don't know quite to what degree you have sibling rivalries. I've got a sister, I've got a younger brother as well, but my sister's closer to me in years. And naturally, there's always some sibling rivalry, isn't there? Um, The issue is with us, was there wasn't many areas in which we were directly rivals. We're quite different. My issue with that generally was my sister was more compliant and obedient than I was in many spheres of life, uh, particularly in school. So there wasn't much competition to be had there, and the things that I tried to do, she wasn't that bothered about. Imagine with me for a minute. Me and my sister, my sister in year 11, me in year 8. Highfield School Letchworth, Mr Rock's tutor group. It's the um, last day of term, and it's report day. Bad day for me, often a good day for my sister. Now imagine... We pick up, we collect our reports, and it's time to take them home. As usual, um, hers is very complimentary, uh, and as usual, there's a few things to be discussed in mine. Um, We get our reports, and we we start to make our way home. She walks home, as usual, straight to the front door. She um, confidently takes a report card and puts it on top of the kitchen counter, ready for my parents to get home. I... Um, stuff my report card into the bottom of my bag, I cycle home through the woods to a few junks with the friends, get back later and keep my report card at the bottom of my bag. Parents come in, see one report card, know it must be my sister's, and so ask me, where's my report card? I go and get my report card, all scrunched up, lay it out on the kitchen table and quickly hide. Um, now, my parents, they take our report cards, they sit down and they have the meeting to talk through what's gone on and what they're going to do about it. You have that dreaded wait. I sat in my room waiting for the yell. And um, shortly afterwards, me and my sister are summoned. So we go to meet with my, uh, with my parents and they say they've had a good look through, they've had a think about it, And in fact, because they love us, and to say well done, they're going to take us to Pizza Hut. Now, you can just imagine the moment, right? My sister, she has walked into that room with her chest out, just like so proud. And I'm walking in like, oh, what is going to happen? And as the words are announced, we're going to Pizza Hut. The first thing I do, just beaming smile on my face. I'm just happy to be here. And my sister, face like thunder, absolutely raging, just lip curl, turns to me, shakes her head. She cannot believe it. I don't deserve to go to Pizza Hut like she does. Next moment, well, not quite next moment, but later on, we're sat in Pizza Hut absolutely stuffed, full of pizza. And there's this moment, the magic words are mentioned, ice cream factory. (laughs) 
And in that moment, my sister has the audacity to say, well, surely I can have ice cream factory and not Simon, because it's a well done for me, isn't it? Unbelievable. I mean, you can imagine the carnage that ensued from that moment. And if, if it was going to get all covered up, just how bad my report was, it all came flying out of that moment. But you see, we have very different reactions to what's going on. We're, we think we're in the room for very different reasons. Do you see, for my sister, she's at Pizza Hut because it's a well done to her. I'm in, the, in Pizza Hut. And I'm just happy to be there because I'm only there because my parents love me. Look, it's a roundabout story, but but, but it really, really helps, hopefully. Here's Paul's warning in verse 29. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It is the same now. You see, the child convinced of their own initiative will attack the child that is is, um, benefiting from the promise. Do you see that in Pizza Hut? The child convinced of their initiative will attack the child that is benefiting from the promise. Look, in the room this afternoon, if you think you contribute anything to your own salvation... You will look around the room at the people of town church. You'll probably never say it, but you'll think, oh, well, they're not quite proper Christians like me. It's a well done to me. They're just happy to be here. They don't deserve it. If you think you possess the power in your own strength to live a holy life, you will Look at the people of town church at times and say, I can't believe that person has gone and done that. If you think it's purely your own discipline that keeps you serving God when no one's watching, you will develop an arrogance that says, you know what, I contribute more than you do. It's a stark warning. What's Paul's advice? Get rid of slave behaviour. Look at verse 30. Get rid of the slave woman. Get rid of the voice inside you that tempts you into thinking you by yourself have got the power to do anything in your own strength. Correct the person at town church that says that someone isn't as worthy or isn't as able to live a life that honours God. Because if you think you deserve God's favour, you will always treat some people like they don't deserve God's rescue. If you think you deserve God's favour, you'll always treat some people like they don't deserve God's rescue. Here's Paul's strong warning to the Galatians and to us. There will always be conflict between siblings like that. There will. And so, if you fall into the trap of thinking, I'm not a real Christian. 
I'm not sure I'm doing as well at some of these things as, as other people that I see at town church. I'm not sure I've done enough to deal with the things I got wrong in my old life. I'm not sure I'm making myself useful enough for God. Nothing you do by your own power or initiative will make you feel the least bit better. Don't first try and do this and do that and be like that person and copy this person. But first, ask God that by his spirit, he would bring you life and he would shape your affections to want to do those things. And we know that God in time will bring all kinds of fruit as we ask him that, as the spirit shapes us. We'll see more of that, what that looks like specifically next week. Or maybe you fall into the trap of thinking your own power your own flesh, your own initiative contributes anything to your salvation. If you fall into the trap of thinking your own power, flesh, initiative contributes anything to your ongoing transformation to becoming more like Jesus. If you think it's anything down to you, it's it's clear Paul's saying you're in grave, grave danger. Because do you see what happened at the table at Pizza Hut? When you, when you think you deserve something, you reject gifts. And God, in his grace, has given us the gift of Jesus to, to make us right. And now, the gift of the Spirit to transform us. And so we're able to live this new life, but only by the Spirit's power in us. And you see, as the Spirit transforms us, changes us, we will see all kinds of initiative in us. We'll see brilliant things. We'll see powerful displays of love at town church, and we do. We'll see disciplined Bible reading. We'll see moments of amazing praise to our God. We'll see exciting conversations with friends about Jesus. And we will. But you see, they only come about by God's initiative. By the power of the Spirit in us. As the Spirit changes our hearts and affections. The warning to us is clear. Don't rely on our own initiative. Rely on God's initiative in what he's done for us and what he's given us by the power of the Spirit. Let's pray.